Hello. If you are into conversations that are habitually disruptive, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian, the speakeasy edition. If you have been on the internet in some capacity for the last, let's say, five years or so, you've seen this sociological phenomenon unfold which is a resurgence of New Ageism, New Age practices, New Age worship. It's nothing new. It's been around since the end of the 20th century, but it comes in waves just like everything does because history is a circle. And we've seen it resurge in the last five years or so. And then we've also seen it change and morph. We've watched it kind of get into places we, I didn't think it would get, like into the church and into believers' lives. But also what makes it so fascinating is in an attempt to shift away from New Age and New Age practices, you've also seen, in my opinion, Christians concede some ground to New Ageism that was theirs first, if that makes sense. We're seeing some Christian circles call things new age, and I'm looking around going, wait, hold on, that one's God's idea. Yeah, maybe new age does their own knockoff (laughs) version of it, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, but no, this was God's idea first. And so for me, you see a couple of different camps. You see full-blown new ageism law of attraction, follow your heart, making yourself a little God, all roads lead to heaven, aura, all of that, okay? For me, personally, that is unaligned with Christianity. It is unaligned with the Word of God. There are so many of those things that you can pretty easily open your Bible and go, ah, God's got something to say about that. And he's pretty clear that, for example, no gods above me, including yourself. And nowhere in scripture does it tell us that we become a God. We become like God. We don't become a God. We are not worshipped, right? On the other side, though, you have a group of Christians. It's giving Salem witch trials, right? It's giving everything is evil, everything is bad, everything is slipping into new age practices. And it's super off base as well. They are rejecting things that are God's idea and God's design and are scripturally accurate as being this woo-woo, you know, new age thing. And so as with a, a lot of things that we talk about here, I find myself wondering if there could possibly be middle ground here. If anything that draws you to worship the creation over the creator is worth fleeing. And I believe that wholeheartedly and do that in my life actively. But also, some of these things are ours and they've warped and twisted it and made it about themselves when it actually was about God. And just because a practice has done that doesn't mean we abandon it completely, doesn't mean Not only that we abandon it, that we look at believers who are doing those things and say they're new age. They're just as off the cliff. There are some things that, like I said, I wholeheartedly (laughs) denounce or whatever. 
the law of attraction, it makes me uncomfortable. I scroll by that content on social media because I don't like it. (laughs) Making yourself a little God, it makes me squirm in my seat. I know God's not a lightning God, but sometimes I'm like, (laughs) he might. As much as I wish all roads led to heaven, I know that they don't because there is only one that leads you to the sun and therefore leads you to the only real God, right? But then we get into stuff like manifestation and meditation and energy and auras and reincarnation and connection to nature. And I just have questions, which I realize is basically the unofficial tagline of these segments. It's just, I have questions. I'm never claiming to have fully landed the plane. There are some things that I can tell you this is what I believe on. But by and large, I'm just not willing to accept the line that I've been given as an answer. And I want to find the answer for myself. So I pulled five concepts that are usually considered new age. And we're going to talk about how the world does it, how they define it, maybe like what it was actually supposed to look like, what God intended it to look like. We'll go into scripture about it. And then kind of just trying to land in the middle a little bit, not new age, but reclaiming things that were God's idea first and that maybe can be a valuable addition to our lives and that our hard line stance of refusing and not only refusing, but condemning people who do these things maybe isn't benefiting anybody. I first encountered mindfulness and meditation A couple of years ago, I started doing EMDR therapy, which if you're in therapy and your practitioner offers EMDR, I'm not going to do a whole thing about it, but definitely recommend. It was a game changer for me. But through EMDR and kind of being able to slow my mind down a little bit, which has never been (laughs) possible for me in my life, I started to learn about these concepts of mindfulness and meditation. And then I started reading from different sources about how it was problematic and it was bad and it was wrong, you know, that it made you really self-focused and all that kind of stuff. And I could see how it could go that way, potentially. But I chose to dig into it because EMDR was really benefiting me a lot. And I don't have a lot of physical ailments, but I struggle with my mental health quite a bit. And I know I've been really open about that. It's just that is one of my struggles. And so I am willing to implement whatever I can to help with that. And so what I ended up finding is that meditation is a purely biblical concept. The idea of staying your mind on good things, on positive things, the idea of self-talk and how that impacts our mental health. And I do think that by and large, this is probably the safest of the five things that I want to talk about. This is the one that people are going to largely, I think, agree with. Because I think it is clear once you look at it that way that meditation is clearly a Christian practice along with other religions. And just because another religion does something doesn't mean we shouldn't as well. There are so many verses that mention meditation implicitly that say the word meditate on the word of God, meditate on this truth. But the verse that I kept coming back to is actually pretty familiar. Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's mindfulness. (laughs) That's meditation. Because think of such things, first of all, that obviously leads us to the throne, right? That leads us to God. God is all of those things. 
and more. But it also serves as some kind of really easy to use. I think of it as like a bowling bumpers. What am I thinking about? What is my mind set on? And it does that follow this checklist of is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy? Is the thought pattern, the self-talk, yes, this could even apply to yourself. I know it's so wild to think that you could actually think good things about yourself. But if I get stuck in a loop of a thought pattern, meditation is what brings me out of it. Meditation is how I try to start my day on things that match up with Philippians 4.8. And those things come from God. And those things are God. So I think I would just like to almost see us reclaim the idea of meditation and meditating that that was God's idea and God's direction for us. So why aren't we doing it and calling it that? It could be praying. It could be meditating. It could be practicing mindfulness. It could be a couple of verses that you memorize that when you need to center yourself on the rock, you've got those in the bank and you can pull them out and you can meditate on them. That's about as black and white as it's going to get in this episode. Because I want to talk about some more gray area things, some things that require more nuance, which unfortunately leaves a lot of room for misunderstanding, misconception, misquoting, people taking away that I'm saying something is okay the world's way when that's not what I'm saying. But I really do believe in us. Even the people who are listening to this because they came into it ready, guns blazing to disagree. My hope is that you'll just, you'll hear me out. So let's talk about manifestation. Traditional definition, manifestation is the public display of emotion or feeling or something theoretical made real. Okay, so it is essentially thinking of something and making it happen. (laughs) Very magical. Okay, this really falls in line with law of attraction, the idea that what you put out into the world, you will receive back. This is really popular on TikTok in the whole lucky girl mantra or blessed girl manifestation. I manifested that. It's problematic, right? This is completely out of whack with what the word of God says. I don't see a ton of Christians saying that they manifest things. Personally, that's not the content that I'm consuming, at least. Is it out there? For sure. I'm not seeing a ton of this. I don't think this is super popular. But I do think that the other side of that coin is putting God in a box and believing that he doesn't want good things for us and that those good things could never be material, which I realize is controversial. But all good gifts come from God. That verse doesn't say unless they're financial unless they are material, unless they are of this world. Like God is not boxed in by what we think of him. So can God's blessing come in the form of things? I do think it can. Because if not, where did it come from? Am I only supposed to give God the glory when the things that I get are emotional, spiritual, mental? But like anything that's of the physical realm, he's hands off. Oh, nope. I didn't have anything to do with that one. 
Do you understand the disconnect there? And I'm not saying that I think that we can manifest these things. I don't have anything that I have in my life because I thought about it hard enough or believed it hard enough. But what you can't strip away from people is the ability to say, but I do believe it was God. I believe that I live in the home that I do because of God, because he aligned everything perfectly and made things happen that never should have. I believe that my husband was able to leave his full-time job because of God, because he is so good that we were able to have faith and take jumps because of who he is. And I think there's a disconnect where in our attempt to completely push manifestation out, we've also pushed God out of his, what he is capable of doing. The original design for manifestation remains allowing your will and desire to be molded to God's and his ability to fulfill it. I don't believe that you can manifest a good life the way the world tells us we can, but I do believe that there are beautiful seasons that are the product of serving a good God who changes what you want to be what he wants because that's what's best. This next one's a hot button. This one gets people riled up, so I do it on Instagram every once in a while. The idea of following your heart. Okay, if we're sticking to the two camps, you have camp new age is everything you want is good. Your gut will guide you. The stars will lead you. It will land in your lap. It's linked to manifestation pretty heavily. It's following your emotions and your feelings are the truth, right? Okay. And then you have the camp that says, follow your heart. You can't follow your heart. Your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Like you have a heart of stone. You are wicked and depraved, which (laughs) you're not wrong. You're not wrong. It's just incomplete. You're just missing the best part, which is where, yes, there are verses. Specifically, the one that is a favorite is Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, or it'll say desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Yes, 100% accurate. That is the Lord talking to the tribe of Judah, but also talking to all of us before we're in Christ. Because if we want to go Old Testament, you have to rationalize that verse with Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So my heart was deceitful above all things, and it was desperately wicked. But then I handed my life over to Christ. He gave me a new heart. I died with him, was resurrected. The old is gone. I'm not that girl anymore. She is no longer here. So that means that if I have a new heart that looks like Jesus, does that mean I can follow it? Does that mean that I can, by and large, trust my heart because I've been given a new spirit? And when something is out of line with scripture and with the spirit, my spirit hates that. When I do something that I know I'm not supposed to do, I hate it. Now, that doesn't mean that I can't choose to do it. It doesn't mean that we don't have the ability to choose to sin. It just means it's not us anymore. It just means that's not ours anymore. It is picking up something that isn't yours. And we will struggle and wrestle with that for the rest of our lives. 
But that does not mean that we aren't good, that we have not been made whole and holy and therefore can follow our heart. Because I think really believing you can't follow your heart comes down to, and I mean this in the kindest way, but a relatively small understanding of the Holy Spirit. Because I think sometimes we think the Holy Spirit is new age. If we're being honest, like I think sometimes we think if we talk about the Holy Spirit too much, it's going to get a little weird. It's going to get woo-woo, right? If we talk about the Holy Spirit and we talk about feeling, understanding, discernment, maybe even like energy, being able to discern in other people where they're coming from, it's too new agey. You have veered into being a psychic or knowing what's coming or finding your inner power source or the different kinds of auras that if you start leaning in too much to the Holy Spirit, that that is the natural progression of that. I just want to say that I 100% understand that fear. And maybe nobody else has ever felt that way. But if you have, I felt that way for a long time. I didn't really study the Holy Spirit. I was real cool with studying like Old Testament God, New Testament Jesus. Boom. That's awesome. And there's nothing wrong with that. But can I tell you how incredible it is to have a full color understanding that when Jesus ascended in Acts, he sent back himself. So people will often say that they're jealous of the disciples because they got to walk with Jesus. What if the disciples are jealous of us because we have Christ in us? And as a result, we have incredible discernment. We have the ability to test spirits. We have the ability to renew our mind. We have the ability to distinguish good from evil. And those are two very real things that are at work in the world. So this is one area that sometimes I worry Christians have let new age panic, kind of like satanic panic, new age panic, strip them of something that was really intended for them. We are the ones with the Holy Spirit. We're the ones with new hearts. We're the ones who were crucified with Christ. You can, by and large, trust yourself, trust the Holy Spirit in yourself, trust that you have discernment, that you can sense in other people who they are and whose they are. Because we have verses like James 1.5 that tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. What if that's how we're praying? What if the way that we're praying isn't for things to change, but in an understanding that we lack wisdom and we can't get more of God, but we can experience more of what he has for us and that he gives that to us generously, often through the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4.1 tells us, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. To be able to test spirits, to be able to see if they are from God, you have to be functioning in that world, in that realm. Everything can't be about what's under your feet and what you can touch with your hands. There has to be a spiritual element to this. And I see a lot of believers trying to put a cap on that because it makes them uncomfortable, because it brings up questions, because it forces you to look at scripture through a different lens. 
Like, for example, the idea that you can connect with God in nature. New Age camp is all is one, right? God and the cosmos and me and nature, we're all just one. Yeah, that's a little murky. Okay, you're gonna have to clear that up for me because I don't really know what you mean. That's not really on the table for me, personally. I, mm, no, I think God is God. I think nature is nature. I think man is man. But I think we're all meant to work together. And so I think, again, in an attempt to separate themselves from that, from the worship of creation, from the belief that we're all the same, we swung so hard in the other direction that we've completely separated ourselves from creation. We've just, you can't be connected to nature. You can't experience God in nature. Your body is not connected. It's very rigid. It's very clinical and surgical. We are connected to the earth that we live on. This has been true since Eden. Maybe Christians have acquiesced that belief in exchange for rigid rules for a really long time. But there is evidence all through scripture about the role creation plays in our existence. In the Old Testament, you have verses like Job 12 that is all about ask the animals and they will teach you, you know, this fish of the sea will inform you which of these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this, which implies that creation can tell us something that we can learn from God's creation outside of ourselves. You have verses like Psalm 96 and even in Romans 8 that talks about the earth groaning, creation crying out, that we are rejoicing, the fields will be jubilant. So we have all these verses throughout scripture talking about how we humans as part of creation join together with the fields and the seas and the skies in glorifying God, in groaning out and waiting for him, in exclaiming the truth of who he is. So if we're doing all of that with creation, then does that not mean that we can meet God there? I'm not saying you shouldn't go to church. I'm not saying you shouldn't be involved in a community because I think that those are scriptural instructions that are for your benefit. And I stand behind that as someone who has been really deeply hurt by a church and by its people. I say that as someone who honestly has plenty of reasons to not go to church. I think you should go to church. And I say that because I love you, not because I'm judging you, and not because it's something that you need to check off a list, but because it is what is in scripture. And I can tell you from experience that it's true and that it's better. Community is better. Learning under teachers is better than going out at it alone. I've done solo on an island Christianity and I've done biblical community Christianity and I will take the latter every single time, not just because it's what's instructed in scripture, but because I know that it is better. What I have a problem with is people that think that church can only be within the four walls of a building. That if you say you are having church anywhere other than like the first Baptist of Greenville, you're new age. The word church shows up about 120 times in the New Testament, never mentions a building. The first time it shows up in Matthew 16, 18, in which Jesus tells Peter, like, you're the dude. You are Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. 
do we think Jesus was talking about a physical church? Do we think Jesus was planning to like lay Peter out and build a church on top of him? Are we taking it that literally? Because the church is the body, right? The church is the body. We're all the church. You can go to a church. I highly suggest it. You can belong to a church. You're still a part of the body. We're still all the church. And I do believe that the body belongs together. I can also believe that God can meet you wherever he wants to. And that can be church too. Because you are a part of the church. I do not believe that church is relegated to being within the four walls of a sanctioned building. I think that it is church when you have friends over that are believers and you enjoy your time together. I believe that that brings God glory because it's building you up and building you in community. I think that's church. Yeah, like I think that you can be in the middle of the ocean and experience God in a way that you can't on land and in a way that fills you up and inspires you and allows you to go out and be the church, that that experience can be church. I do. My concern is that in our righteous pursuit of abstaining from evil, like 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us to, we've given ground to a new age movement that isn't theirs. That was God's first. And it remains his. Even, you know, like reincarnation. That's a, like, it's kind of a silly one. But I believe in reincarnation because I believe I was already reincarnated. I died. The old me died. Scripture doesn't mince words on that. Old me died, new me. I got to be reincarnated. I got to live one life and now I get to live a way better life in the body of Christ. And then I think I'll get reincarnated again when time is complete, when like we get to go into eternity. And obviously, I don't actually believe in reincarnation. I don't think I'm going to come back as a bug. I don't think there's anything that I could do to change any of it because it was God and his grace alone. But I just think our hesitancy to ask hard questions has conceded some things that really just make our lives better and enhance our experience with Christ. We will continue this conversation on my Instagram, as always. So go head over there, the girl named Blake. And if this conversation is fascinating to you, if you find yourself intrigued by the grace message and learning more about freedom and our experience with God, my online private group is opening for registration next Monday, a week from today. And for the next three months, we're doing a series called Experiencing God. And we're covering that you are freer than you think you are. Who can you trust? and how we can communicate with God, both us communicating with him and him communicating with us. So you can find more information about that at thegirlnamedblake.com slash collective, or just head over to my Instagram and there are links there as well. I will see you next week. Mm-hmm.